Okay, we're continuing James today. And if you have a Bible, it's not much text we're covering today. We're almost at the end of James. We're in James chapter 5. I'm tempted to just run right through, and I'm not running right through. The reason why I'm not running right through is that is it actually this, um, this text is really important. It is for me. So there's a part of me this morning, you're learning more about your pastor. These particular things that I get to do are, um, the message this morning is be yourself. I think the Bible wants you to be yourself. Not who you think you should be, but who you are. And there's a reason why it says that, and there's a reason why we come back and focus on these things. I'm waiting because the slide's not going. I'm trying to get it to go. It's a beautiful picture, huh? That's the sound. Well, forget it. I'm going to try one more time. There, we'll do that. Okay. But here's the thing. For me, personally, that there's a reason why I, I slow down on these particular passages, because I think James is, is doing these things with us too. But you heard what we read this morning, right? You heard that Jesus, when he came back to his hometown, and he, he's going to read in the synagogue, and he, and he picked Isaiah, and he opened up to that passage in Isaiah. That amazing passage, right? It says that, Behold, I've, I've come to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And then he sat down and he, and he said, Today these things are fulfilled in your presence. That's my Savior. And it's almost taken me years to get to the point of saying, The blind person is me. The oppressed person is me. The one who's enslaved is me, and Jesus sets me free. It's the best news ever, and, and I rejoice in that, and I love it. And because so much of my life was more about them. Why didn't Jesus do what I wanted him to do? And not seeing my Savior wants me to see me. You may not think that's a big deal, but but I think that, that today what I want you to see is that there's a response to the gospel that's really important, and it's not what you might think it is. We're trained to think of other things. Today, James actually says, okay, my assumption in James, if you're with me, is that, is that James gets the gospel. I don't think he doesn't know the gospel. My assumption is James, Jesus' half-brother, who rejected him while Jesus was walking around on earth. James comes, and he actually, he, he, he's humbled. All I got is Jesus. And so when he walks through, and we've walked through, and he's shown us pictures of ourselves, and it's not very pretty, and it's not very pretty, and all these things, that actually what James is, is doing is pushing us to Jesus. That's what he's done. And then these last couple weeks, these last couple weeks that we have now at the very end, he, he kind of slows down to me. He doesn't get negative on us to show us our evil. He says, now that you get this great good news, what happens just logically? Great good news. Last week we saw great good news. What's the good news? Jesus. Therefore, we are a strange people. We are waiting for Jesus to come back. That's my hope. My hope isn't building everything up here. My hope is, that's really strange because it's logical that I would build things up here. Except if Jesus is real. And he is. 
it changes, right? It changes how I think about life. I'm waiting for Jesus, my primary task. We saw that last week. And then he does this this morning, James does. He says, why well, I'm calling this, oh, why did this switch? Oh, ruining my cool presentation. He says what? Above all. Ah. This is above all. Right? That's the title that we're on today. I'm calling it above all. Why am I calling it above all? Because above all, James says, above all, above everything else. He, it's not finally at the end. It's not the last thing I have to say to you. He says the very most important thing is this. And it is something, if you were really honest with yourself, you would never pick. I would say, above all, now be a really good person. <laughs> above all, give tons of money to the church. I like that one. Above all, be perfect. So here's James. He says above all here. Above all, he says, look, look what he says. Above all things, believer, above everything else. This is high. This is big. This is important. Don't swear. Neither by heaven or earth or another earth, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. So you may not fall under condemnation. (laughs) What? Come on, James. Don't swear. So wait a minute on that. Before you jump, before you go, well, that's no problem. I don't use cuss words hardly ever. <laughs> Only when someone cuts in front of me on the freeway like three times. <laughs> then then, then there's a special dispensation. <laughs> that's not what it means, right? He's not talking about profanity. Now, don't get me wrong, profanity is not helpful. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 says that we should have wholesome speech. I get it. I'm with you. We should have wholesome speech. But that's not above all here. That's not the above all that we as the Christian community are really, really excited and focused on. This is my brothers. So he's talking brothers and sisters, the Christians, right? Above everything else, this is super important, James says, don't swear... He means swearing like swearing in at a court, right? He means taking an oath. He doesn't mean throwing in a bad word. In speaking against oaths, it seems like, at least superficially, this is a big deal in both Old Testament and New Testament times. And in, in the Hebrew language, to swear means shabuah is, is to, it's a solemnly taken oath. In Greek, horchos, it means, it means to bind your words to something higher so that it strengthens it, right? It attests to the truth. It calls witness. It, there's punishment if you don't do it. It's really common in the Bible. If you go to the Old Testament, I'm not going to run you through all the, the pieces. It's a good thing because my slides aren't working that great. But, but, but here in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham does it. In, in Genesis 26, Isaac does it. In Genesis 31, Jacob does it. There's all the patriarchs. In 2 Samuel 19, David swears an oath. In the New Testament, you've got things like in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul swears an oath. So is James just speaking out against this practice of other people? I mean, listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. 
wait a minute. James, James who's saying, don't take an oath, he can't be meaning, don't take an oath like those people, because they were all people of God. They weren't sinning when they did those things. I mean, listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, this, this chapter. He says, but I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Did you catch that first phrase? I call God to witness against me. That's swearing. Okay, so, so the issue isn't to avoid oaths. It's okay and right that we solemnly make these occasions like marriage or like the courtroom or those sorts of things. They're not wrong. That's not what James is saying. Get more specific. Look at the text more closely with me. He says, above all my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. What is he saying? Swearing, by don't do it by heaven or earth or anything else. What You see, at the time, this is how people thought. This is the thinking that they had. There was normal speech. It was down here. There was like before God cutting the covenant oaths. That's up here. In the middle, there's a second category, this middle category. It's, it's like really trying to convince the other person that you mean what you say. God's not really involved in it. It's just they really need to know. That what you say is true. And so you want to, you, you take it and you bind your word to something stronger. By Mount Baker, the height of Mount Baker, I'm telling you this is true. What are you saying? He's saying, well, Mount Baker's really high, and so therefore what I'm saying is really true. And you're taking your words and trying to, to make the other person think you're really, really true. That this is what he's talking about. Again, if you're with me at all, you're just saying, well, hey, Dax, okay, but I don't really do that. Well, it, it, we do do that. Sometimes it's in special situations. Let me give you one. This is really fun. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Masons. They have to take these special oaths when they become uh, different levels. Well, to be an apprentice Mason, let me just read you their oath. It's a fun one. They say this, binding myself under no less a penalty than that of being my throat cut my tongue torn out by its roots and buried in the rough sands of the sea at low watermark where the tide ebbs and flows twice in 24 hours. Should I ever knowingly or willingly violate this, my solemn oath and obligation as an entered apprentice Mason? What did they do? They said, I'm taking something very solemn and so that you believe me, I'm going to talk about the consequence if I don't do it. It's not before God is my witness. It's not that. It's, let me convince you this is really true. I give you permission to come and slice my throat if I don't do it. Wow, okay, you've convinced me. You've convinced me that what you've said is true. That was the point, right? In fact, we do this without the oath part. This thing that James is getting at is that this use of words to try and convince you that what I'm saying is true, it's called something else, really. We would call it manipulation. I am going to use my language to convince you of something that you don't think about me. And I'm going to use the words I have to do it. If I know something's not true, but I really, really want you to believe me, then I've got a toolbox, you see. I can use the height of Mount Baker. I can use language to try and push you towards you thinking that I, I am something that, that I'm not. 
And so when James says, don't take an oath, you're allowed in solemn times to solemnly vow. But the problem is, you, you and I as Christians drift into all the time manipulating with our words, which is what he's saying is not just a problem, above all. I want someone to really believe me. I'll insert an oath. So my problem is I'm masking the truth. Rather than being straightforward and honest and authentic, I hide and manipulate and manage. Mostly it's to make myself look better. Mostly. To further whatever agenda we have, we give people the impression of something that's not true. And let me give you a little example to try and bring it. Years and years ago, I was in an accountability relationship with someone. One of those is where you sit down and you ask questions of each other about how you're doing and what you're doing. So this gentleman sat down with me and he said, Dax, how's your Bible reading? And I wasn't a dummy. I knew this question was coming. We met every couple of weeks to ask this question. I'd forgotten. But thankfully, about an hour before he came, I remembered. So I read my Bible 15 minutes before. I said, well, I read my Bible today. I said, was it true? Yes, it was true. Why did I say that? Because I didn't really want to go into him why I hadn't read my Bible for three days. I just wanted him to think I read my Bible today. And so I spoke the truth and I said it. But I used my words to manipulate him. He kind of looked at me funny and he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Today, hey, before you came, I was reading my Bible. Implying that I was reading my Bible all the days before that too. I chose my words very carefully so that I speak the truth. That's called manipulation, though, right? He went further. He said, well, how are you doing with your wife? <laughs> this was the years when my you know, kid was an infant. We weren't sleeping. And um, that means we weren't super close. You know how it goes when you just have no time. So I wasn't particularly close to Danny right there, but I didn't want to go into all of it or the argument we'd had the night before any of that. I just, okay, we're fine. Dan and I are doing pretty good. In fact, I prayed, I prayed for her last night before I went to bed. I said, <laughs> I did. You know how you lay down sometimes? You give the one-liner. Lord, please bless my wife. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was prayer. And I did pray with her the night before. I did it. I did it. And, and I could say it. And so I said it. And when I said it, it was true. But, but really what it gave the impression of was, oh yeah, we're doing well. And you know what? We're, I, I pray for her constantly. You say, well, Dax, you're, you're making a mountain out of a molehill. doesn't really matter. Okay, let me come back the other way. I asked him, how are you doing at work? Because I knew he had work struggles. And he said, well, it's been longer hours than normal, and it's been hard a little bit, but, but I'm getting through. I'm doing good. And see, he skipped over the fact that he was stealing narcotics from work to take it home because he was addicted to narcotics. He told the truth. He was doing fine at work. He said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. That Dex didn't even say that. You shouldn't say that. I'm telling you the truth. It's a truth. We gloss over stuff, right? We manipulate the truth. We tell half the truth. We tell part of the truth. Why? Because, because I don't want to open up with all of me. 
The real thing is that's horrible. Why is it horrible? Because, because he was right in front of me. I could have helped him. It's not any different, though, what he did and what I did. It's not any different. There's both manipulating and masking the truth. It's why it becomes, uh, becomes above all. Because the above all part becomes this part of the gospel. It changes the picture, doesn't it? It snaps us to reality. Because the problem is we try and portray where we think we should be. Not where we are. I do. I think in no small way my life has been successful because I'm good at it. I hide pretty well. I think many of us do. I want to be the judge. I want to manipulate and mask and decide what to conceal and what to reveal. And, 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 and when I do, I'm, I'm actually walking away from the gospel. It's not real. It's not trusting of God when I shape and I mold the truth. The truth to hide behind a mask. I think it's necessary. I want the other person to like me. I, I want to be appropriate. I don't want to overshare. I don't want to undershare. I want to, I, I don't think people will accept me as I am. Stinker that I am. Really don't believe it. Okay, do you start to see the gospel connection? Do you start to see why James might be saying this? You start to see that we've looked into the law and we've seen we're never who we should be and we're accepted in Christ alone. But instead of believing it, I tend, we tend to use our words to make ourselves look more acceptable to other people. I shade, I deceive because I think it's what's needed to be accepted by other people, and our culture presses us here. Eh. But if I believe that Jesus died for me, and I believe that Jesus loves me, and I believe that he's with me, I can be myself. He died to set the captives free. I'm a captive. He gives sight to the blind. I was blind. I still struggle in areas. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is one of the, the single most damaging areas for the church today, and James knows it. That's why it's above all. We're just like the world. We, we're manipulators. And, and, and how can people see Jesus if we won't even be ourselves? And not, not a new law. It's just what should be, right? It's, it's what the gospel starts to do. If your eyes get opened, actually, whoa, 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 Jesus died for me as I am. He loves me as I am. Here I am as I am. I can just be who I am. I don't have to try and make it so that you see the right picture of me. Why is it such a big deal? Because it goes beyond words, really. It goes into living. Let me Let me share that with you if we can get the slides there. Authentic living. Because he keeps going. Verse 13, he says this, Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And then the next slide, and the the power of faith will save the one who's sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sin, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. We get caught when we read this little paragraph. We get caught as we, we read this. It really starts in verse 12 and it goes through. We get caught because, oh, anointing oil and the, the prayer of the faithful and righteous power and prayer. We want to go there. Don't worry. We'll cover that. We're going to cover it next week. We're going to talk about prayer. But, but, but I don't want you to miss that this is connected to verse 12, right? This is connected to being truthful. Because if you're truthful, then if you're suffering... Pray. What does that mean? Pray like David prayed. Remember how David prayed? He tore his clothes. He didn't like, oh, I'm so great and happy and good, and it's really, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. People knew. When he's happy and you're happy and he's singing, people hear it, right? You're singing it. You must be happy. Yes, I am. Woohoo. He's saying, be who you are. It's okay to be who you are. Not all of us are happy, not all of us are suffering. And even sin, right? That's why I threw in these other two verses right there. It says, hey, therefore confess your sins to one another. What does that mean? Oh, open. My life is open to you. Am I perfect? No. But you know what? That's become such a catchphrase. We're not a perfect church. Do you really mean it? Are you really willing to say, I'm just not perfect? I sin every day. I do. How do you sin? I can tell you. I don't wear my stuff on the sleeve. You don't need to know that. I don't need to do that, right? But but I'm open about it. I'm not hiding away that I really am not not who I, sh- I I am who I am. Otherwise, if I start to say not no, I'm not who I am. I, I'm I'm who I ought to be. That's who I'm. <laughs> Let me show you this face over here. I'm thinking that you don't can't aren't actually loving the person who's over there. You love the person who's here. It's a big problem. Because the reality is you're not this person. Not yet. Jesus is coming, don't worry. He's coming, that's my hope. We're patiently waiting. But the reality is I'm still over here. And and this is not just then the words. This is authentic living. The greatest danger is that you're not authentic the greatest danger, the, the flip side of authentic, right? The word for the flip side of authentic is deceptive. That's that James is going after that. I, I, he is de, de, deceptive. I, the devil's the deceiver. It's always the problem is the deception. It's never the problem is the original sin that we do. It's always that we're hiding ourselves with fig leaves. That's what it always was. I, I think that's true. I mean, it's always true in the counseling office. The problem's not that people come and they've messed up, that they've sinned, that they've done some terrible thing. And even the horror of, of adultery or something like that, that's terrible. The problem is they hide it. They get found out, you see. And then it's not that someone says, hey, my heart is so open and broken. I'm just telling you it's terrible and I'm in this and I'm trying to get out of it. It becomes, I, I'm okay. And the damage is tripled when you're found out and you're, you're always found out. 
When we hide our past failures and you hide your present struggles and you don't speak to them, James says, wait, 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 you're going against the gospel above all. Yes is yes and no is no. You are who you are all the way through. Look, if you're suffering, then pray. If you're, if, if you're happy, sing. If you're sinning, confess. These things are open things. This is your family. We have the real grounds for acceptance. It is not that we just say it doesn't matter. It is that we know that Jesus paid. That's the gospel. To do anything else really is deception. With words and with actions, and that's what James is after. No deception. Not with words, not with actions. Because the killer is is deception. And you may have considered this with me before. I want to at least, I know we don't have much time, but I want to at least step back and, and help, if I can, with why we do this. Talk to me for just a minute about why we do this. Why do we not just be open? Why do we manage and manipulate in such a way that it actually goes against what the gospel says is true? I think one of the, the uh, two reasons that are inside us and one outside, the outside one first, I, I think I think that other people's opinion really strong in us. When the only one that matters is God, and the only one that matters is Jesus, the only one that matters is the one that looks at your heart, and yet I'm so much a fear of man person, and many of us are. We care so much about what other people think. We're fearful of condemnation, and I, I've shared this once before, but it's it's we're afraid of something like this in the church where a young man got up once at a, at a, at a breakfast and he was the featured speaker and he talked about his struggles with pornography and how he had, was struggling through it and how the Lord was kind to him and, and he was getting out of it, but he struggled still. And, and you watched the dads in that room, each of them going, that man will never be around my daughter. They did. Right? There's a real fear that if we're really true, it's going to be used against us. Why is that a fear? Because it happens. <laughs> it happens. There's an amazing pastor that said some really amazing things about the gospel, but, but he fell. And so he needed to step away from the pulpit. But he didn't just get step away from the pulpit. They scrubbed this church, did all of his sermons, so you can't find him anywhere anymore. You can't find him. They just took him away. Why? Because he sinned. Wait a minute. We sin every day? I'm not saying there's not consequences. There should be. There should be consequences if you even confess sin. Why? But that's good. There's the, there's the piece of getting things out, of getting things. No, Jesus is the only answer. And I really am thinking I'm walking in the light. Man, I want to confess my sin and be around brothers and sisters who can say, you know what? Jesus paid for that sin. But there are still consequences that happen for sin. I get it. But we get so fearful. That's the first reason. The second reason, I think, I think it's sin management. This idea that we, it's more important to me that I look right than that I be real. Is it more important to you that you look right than you actually be real? And James saying, above all, you gotta be real. Right, because it's taught all over that I should be able to overcome sin. I, I should not have to sin anymore. Now that I've been freed, now I never have to sin. And, and so because I know that that's true, then I get into this mindset. I get into fake it till you make it. You ever heard of that? Fake it till you make it. 
wants to act like I'm okay until I'm actually okay. But, but oh man, what a terrible thing. I might confess a sin a couple of times, but then I'm kind of done because I should be over it, right? I mean, there's no way I shouldn't, so there's no way I should keep having to confess this thing that I've, I'm tired of it. And you know what, really? I just want to act like I'm okay, so I'm over it. Are you really over it? No. I feel sometimes like we think we should be Mary Poppins. You remember Mary Poppins? Mary, I, I'm sorry, I've got kids. They're girls. There they go. I get to watch these kind of movies. So Mary Poppins, you know Mary Poppins, right? She, she, she drifts in on a cloud. She comes down with her umbrella and she dispenses a spoonful of sugar to make the medicine go down. She helps everyone. She has no problems. She just helps other people. And then when everyone's kind of helped and in order and happy, then she drifts off to her next assignment. She doesn't have any needs. She doesn't have any sins. And we think that's how we are as Christians. If you really are a good Christian, you just drift in and you help people and you serve and you do things. You don't actually, like, be broken. Where's my spoonful of sugar? Because I'm going to need it for this medicine. You always want to be, I always want to be the person who's dispensing the medicine, not the person who's taking it. Christianity is we all take the medicine. We're all broken. None of us are Mary Poppins. Okay, so this this third one, so I, I think there's three things. There's people's opinion of us. I think we're fear of man kind of people, fear of other people kind of people. There's sin management. I think I should be over it. And the, the last thing I think is my own guilt and shame keeps me from actually opening up to you. And again, I'm just, I'm just trying to let you see why James is saying this is above all. My own guilt and shame, what am I rejecting? When I'm really shamed at what I've done, and I won't share it with you, not only is it not an opportunity for you to know me and know what Jesus has rescued me from, I'm not actually believing Jesus has rescued me from it. I'm not believing that I've accepted the righteous robes of Christ and that he's clothed me in his righteousness and it's from him alone and not me. I'm still ashamed. Ashamed of what? Ashamed that you're a sinner? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I'm ashamed that I'm a sinner. In my heart, I want to be the not sinner. And you see what that is. Let me put another label on it. Self-righteousness. I want to be righteous. I want to be righteous myself. I'm ashamed that I'm not. That's why I love the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews has this passage in it. It's in chapter 9, chapter 10. It goes through how Jesus Christ comes and he cleanses the conscience. Cleanse conscience. It doesn't mean now I have a finer sense of what's right or wrong. It means now that, that I see differently. I now see that I'm cleansed. I now am not ashamed that I sin. I don't love that I sin. I hate it. Don't get me wrong for a second. Sin is terrible. Don't do it. Run, flee, don't avoid. But guess what? You will fall in to that pool. And when I do, I know there's no guilt or shame for me. Why? Because I've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. My conscience is cleansed. This is the gospel. The difficulty when we hold on to this guilt and shame stuff, the difficulty is the end of it's a different Savior. 
Because, because the end of that is, did Jesus give you a loan with an awesome interest rate that you're going to pay back by being a good little boy and girl? That's a different Savior. You and I will never merit our redemption. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm going into the weeds a little bit. It's because I feel like we, we miss this. We miss this in our Bibles. We say, hey, we study the Bible and we're for the Bible. And then we, we emphasize these things in the Bible that we miss that, that the guy has an emphasis that's writing it. And when he says something like above all, like James has said this morning, above all, above all, don't manipulate the truth. Just be yourself. But that, above all, means something. It means something for you and for me. And today, whatever, whatever you might think you are, if your trust or your, your faith is in Jesus Christ, you are God's kid. You are. And you can be yourself. You're a sinner, really, and you've been saved by Jesus. So our identity is in him, not in our activity. And one theologian talks about how we don't really seem to get better and, and how this has to say about our lack of progress and why we don't. He says this, but could it perhaps be that it is precisely the unconditional gift of grace that helps me to see and admit all my sin? The grace of God leads us to the truth about ourselves and to gain a certain lucidity, a certain humor, a certain down-to-earthness. We're not holier than thou. We're sinners saved by grace. I think our need to get better and improve often is what drives our deception because we haven't gotten to where we think we should be. I guess my, my call to you this morning is please don't fake it till you make it. Please see, you're supposed to be yourself. This is radical freedom that we've been saved into. This is loved as we are by God who is seated now but we are now sealed by the Holy Spirit even though we're still struggling. That's who we are. And I just want to put this caveat in before we end because we get talking about be yourself, and but, but be yourself means I... <laughs> I hear another bee in it. I hear another law. Okay, Dax, you say, because the gospel's true, therefore I need to do this. No, I'm saying it's a, it's, it, it's a logical flow from the gospel, but you're not going to do it even then. <laughs> say, man, that, I, I struggle with that. I struggle with that piece. I don't like it. Yeah, give yourself grace in that, right? But, but you do need to soak in the gospel more because if you soak in the gospel more, this will become a truth that you can actually hold on to. You can actually open your eyes to it. Your fear and your guilt and your shame can go down. And, and, and honesty and truthfulness and transparency and authenticity, all, all those words, you know. They push against this manufacturing and manipulation of what we want others to think of us instead of just being who we are with our likes, with our proclivities, with our positives, with our negatives. We're all this work in progress, but we're free. I just want to say our witness is not hurt by our freedom. It's not hurt by our honesty. It's hurt by our fakeness. Our witness is not turned off by unrighteousness repented of, but by self-righteousness. So I, I give yourself grace in this.
Get overwhelmed by the gospel. Let that push you to just be yourself. And when, when you see people doing this, please don't become the truth police. Please don't become the, 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 that because it's amazing grace. It's amazing grace to, to start to really be yourself authentically. It's like this. When you see a dog playing checkers, don't critique his game. Be amazed that there's a dog playing checkers. When you see us start to really be open, when you see us start to really take some steps in that direction, be amazed at what the gospel does. Don't critique it. It's amazing. This is the place to do it. This is the place of freedom. This is the place of the church because of what Jesus has done. And, and not that we're tolerant in some sort of we don't care about sin, but it's, it's the embrace of, hey, hey, you're authentically being who you are, covered by Christ, and, and we will help you walk through all things as you're broken with us together. I like Isaiah 61 where Jesus read there as we started. This amazing proclamation of the year of the Lord's favor that he represented. And at the end of Isaiah 61, it says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. That's why we stand. It's amazing. Come rejoice. Be real. Let's pray.